now beginning transmission 102. Supergirl, by Peter David, Volume 1. File under, March Madness. This week's episode of the Funny Books and Firewater Podcast. I'm too sober for this shit. Sure. So my favorite thing to do is my wife plays this really stupid, dumb, pass the time game on her phone called Heyday. Mm-hmm. It's a Farmville type game. And even today, is she'll we'll, we'll talk on the phone in our drive home because we still like each other. Mm-hmm. And she'll be there in the driveway doing with Heyday. I'll pull up and park get out of my car, go up, and then I will tap on the glass, and her phone will fly ten inches in the air because I have scared the ever-loving shit out of her. And she screams and yells, fuck, and it's awesome. And she's like, where did you come from? And I'm like, I don't know how I could be more obvious without blowing my horn. That's awesome. So there's that. Okay, well, welcome to episode 102. We are reading Supergirl Volume 1 by Peter David and Gary Frank. Uh, We are here with uh, two people in Utah. Maybe Maya will join us. Maybe he won't. He is missing once again. But uh, the important people are here, first of which being Mr. Todd. How are you? Hey, I'm good. I'm Todd. You can find me here in Salt Lake City. I'm on here on the Funny Books and Firewater podcast. I'm also doing English class hooligans with Brian, our lovely host and producer. Oh, I'm lovely. Yay. Hi. Yay. And then the better half of my life, dear Amy. Hi, Amy. Hi, Amy. Hi, Amy. So it's where we read uh, classic books of literature. And we discuss whether or not they deserve to be classics. And no, that didn't start out as the, the, the thing. And now that we've read one that we don't like, we've sort of changed what it is. It just seems right here. It's like, what the fuck are we reading? It's like, and the one coming up, it's like, it's best known for its opening line. And the thing of it is, it's like one quarter of the opening line that is yeah. best known. And the rest of it is a bunch of word-filled bullshit. Yeah, and it, that sums up the book is this is word-filled bullshit, is it, and it should be a quarter as long it, as is it the is. line. It was the best times, it was the worst times. It oh, is. I honestly didn't it. know. I did not know. I just guessed. <laughs> I fucking hate that author. So no, so, yeah, I, I understand why too. Because we all get it, but it's on the classics list. So English class hooligans. As we're doing it, and that's where we are clean, and we can actually tell our parents, "Hey, you should listen to this one," because on this podcast, I say "fuck" a lot. Yeah, as well, you should. That's right. Cool, and uh, also lovely. And in the great state of Utah, we have Mr. Adam. Oh, 
Hey, what's up? This is Adam, uh, film critic and reviews editor for Big Train Robot. Also the co-host of the Board as Hell podcast with Andy Wilson. Hi, Hi Andy. Andy. And the co-host of the brand new Cinema Queens podcast that is definitely uh, not safe for work. Uh, in our first episode, we, mm-hmm. we jumped into an anal sex discussion within the first five minutes. Sure. And like you do. Your host? Uh, that would be our good friend, Chris. Hi, Hi Chris. Chris. So, uh, Chris has not been on this podcast. He's been referenced multiple times. We'll let you go back and figure out who that is. Uh, we'll just say he goes by the nickname CDC. Uh, but no, it's a lot of fun. And as this episode airs, we should hopefully, if all goes well, have our Love Simon uh, episode up, which we talked about last episode. So, yeah, it's a lot of fun. We just discuss LGBT films throughout this, uh, the decades, whether they hold up, how they've changed, what they've done for the community, and. We also talk about dirty things, so it's fun. I will say, I fucking love the birdcage. We actually, that's that's on our list. We've, we've got, we're, we're running the gamut from, you know, the very serious, the very deep, the very, uh-huh. you know, moving to fun, campy stuff. So it's, sure. it's, it's all over the place. All right. If you do Hedwig and the Angry Inch, I want to be Oh, honest. definitely. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, it's it's uh, it, it's open to people of all of all sexualities. Obviously, LGBT people, mm-hmm. we want people of uh, allies, um, film lovers, Pretty much anyone who wants to be a part of it, uh, they're welcome. We just we're trying to get a couple episodes in to get it up, and then uh, hopefully get, get it. Up. Listen to it. Uh, <laughs> that's after, get hard. That's after the podcast, or sometimes before. It, it might be before. That way, we, we're not quite as on edge during the podcast. Okay. So. And this one we just drink. Now this one we just drink, and he can't drink right now because he's he's. We, we'll just say he can't drink for the moment. He's doing stuff with the doctor. So all right. Okay. Nothing bad. Nothing. He's not. He's healthy. He just it's something he's gonna... performing the surgery on a doctor right now. It's very weird. He is, uh, but also yes. uh, the the doctor is bent over grabbing his ankles. It's kind of weird. All right, I well, have that to look forward to in four years. So much for non invasive. I just hope. It, I just hope that when that happens to me, I don't pop a boner because that's like a position I'm used to. So is that uh, normally, they, they, they drug you up? So they give you like a, a thing that you don't really remember it. You're sort of conscious, but you don't remember it after the fact. Are we talking about a colonoscopy or a prostate yes. exam? Oh, I've had a colonoscopy. Yeah, like no, like they. So I had to have one a couple years ago because the doctor didn't do enough tests to figure out that I just had bacterial infection because someone at a restaurant went to the restroom, didn't wash their hands, mm-hmm. and got me sick. Mm-hmm. They could have given me a five dollar antibiotic that would have fixed me, but they didn't. So I was worried for three months, and then they did a colonoscopy. And I remember I was lying in the thing. The doctor comes in, he's like, "Hey, so you're gonna kind of fall asleep, and then you'll wake up in a bit, and we'll let you know." And they put the drug into me, and I could kind of feel like something tingle in my arm. Mm-hmm. And I was like, "This isn't doing anything." I was like, "My mouth feels." <laughs> and I woke up, and the nurse is like, "You need to fart. Just fart." I'm like, "Okay." Uh, so yeah, so I, I have one of those, but I was I was more going to the uh, the, the prostate exam because okay. <laughs> that's not quite the sound I make when my prostate is examined. <laughs> Just repeatedly, over and over. And over. <laughs> I tripped and fell over and over and over again. Fall again. Okay. But I can't stop. Oh, I've fallen. Done. <laughs> Oh, Rocky. Uh, yeah, I, I won't. I won't do that one. I, uh, like, I, I, I've seen Rocky Horror Picture Show. Todd and I watched it one night when we'd been up all night working on a show. I think it was way back in the day. You know, yeah. we were, we were, we were so naive young kids going, "Oh, yeah, we're going to be so subversive and watch Rocky Horror." I don't. Yeah, I don't think we had any. Like, we kind of watched it. I don't really get it. Um, but yeah. I haven't watched it since then. Although I should, maybe I should. 
Uh, anyway, and hey, I'm uh, Brian. I'm a sound designer in Southern California. I do a bunch of crap. Uh, I've talked about it in other episodes. Uh, I'm sound designing a bunch of shows uh, and Lyric again this summer. Um, and I am doing a video game and uh, I do a bunch of stuff in my day job that I'm not allowed to talk about. But some of it's kind of cool. Some of it's kind of exciting. Um, I still love the fact that uh, Andy and I recorded an intro for the video game that was so dirty you couldn't use it. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. Especially considering how good Adam or my, uh, Andy is. That's, that's actually very funny. But uh, And then Mr. Maya may join us later. He is, uh, we're recording this on a Friday night where he is typically at Dr. Volts and he had some last minute stuff that he had to do at Dr. Volts so he hasn't been able to come back but he's a Dr. Volts comic connection in Salt Lake City, Utah if you're in town stop by he's typically there on Fridays and like Tuesday evenings uh, but he might be there other days as well um, and uh, if not just go in and say hey to Dave he's a good dude uh, they're a good comic shop, uh, and uh, yeah. Uh, so this week, as we may have said earlier before or not, uh, depending on which edit I kept of this because we had a failure in recording earlier, uh, we are continuing on our month of, actually, not continue, we're finishing. We're finishing our month of uh, March Madness. Would you Book say select. we're coming to completion? Uh, I will let Adam say if that's true No, that's my other podcast. Oh. Todd and I have known each other so long, we have the exact same response for that joke. <laughs> We are pretty much siblings, according to a lot of the people we grew up with, and it's still no, very no, You're the adopted one. Well, there's that, too. That's a whole other different issue. <laughs> adopted or not, we're still siblings. Uh, yes, indeed. Uh, so, anyway, you lovely listeners uh, were kind enough to recommend really good books, and we put them into a jar, and we shook them around, and we picked them out, and we've gotten some great recommendations, and uh, I am very thankful for uh, what you've brought us. Uh, this week is a book I don't think I ever would have touched if it wasn't for uh, a recommendation for this, but I uh, I will say that uh, I actually enjoyed it. Uh, so we are reading the first book of Supergirl by Peter David and art by Gary Frank. Uh, it's the beginning of uh, Peter David's run on this book uh, from about the 90s. Uh, I might be able to look up a, uh, a date on it. But uh, for those who are in the know, this is the beginning of what is called the Matrix run. I have it as 96. 96, 97 is the original mm-hmm. publication of this. So yeah, not when I was reading comics, but uh, you know, still fun nonetheless. Uh, so I think what we will do is we will start out with a drinking game. And now for sports. Listen up, sports fans. Prepare yourself and your liver for this week's drinking game. Remember, it's only a game and a dumb one at that. So don't take it too seriously. And above all else, please drink responsibly. Uh, Mr. Todd, do you have a drinking game rule? Yeah, it's, um, hey, look, it's the 90s. I spy a midriff. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) So every time as you're going through the book here and you have all these uh, very lovely and well-sculpted people and they're showing a bare midriff, you should take a drink because, hey, it's the 90s. Uh, Mine, I will jump on to that because it's semi-similar. Mine is called All That in a Bag of Chips, which is every time you see a a 90s cliche and or fashion take a drink, including playing Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon at a dinner party, uh, is in contained within this book uh mr adam what is your drinking game rule uh mine is called heaven or hell so every time they mention something to do with god the devil heaven hell any kind of uh like religious undertones take a drink Uh, and then maya left us with uh, identity crisis which is anytime supergirl switches to uh linda danvers or vice versa uh blonde to brown and brown to blonde hair uh take a drink 
I guess let's just jump into uh, to votes as to whether or not it is worth uh, our dear listeners' hard-earned time and money. Vote for Pedro. So I've been asked by the judge to be the foreman. Vote for Pedro. And I want y'all to know that we's gonna run a fair jury and a clean jury. It's time for a vote because we love you and we don't want to waste your money. We will now vote on whether this week's book is fit for human consumption by you, our dear listener. Along with each vote, our panel will also provide one piece of evidence to support their vote. Vote for Pedro. Do you expect me to talk? Vote for Pedro. Now who is the bond I expect you to die? There is nothing you can talk to me about that I don't already know. Uh, Mr. Todd, what is your vote? Yeah, it was all right. All right, okay. All right, the kids are all right. This the is all right. right. Mr. Adam, what is your vote? Um, I'm going to say yes, but as the old adage goes, that it's not always the destination, it's the journey. This book is very much the journey and not the destination. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. So that's that's kind of where I am. So, and, and we'll discuss more when we get into the uh, the spoilerific part of it. So, and I I'm gonna say I'm a little more solid in my recommendation of it. I really really like this book. It's sort of hard to describe how and why, but I really did enjoy this book. This doesn't this isn't the typical thing that I would really like, uh, but I enjoyed it. I thought it was interesting. But it is super 90s, and that kind of entertained me to a certain degree. Is there anything that we should forewarn people of before we go into spoiler territory? So. So uh, what I will recommend is this is a 12-issue book. Mm -hmm. Uh, It is – there's a lot going on. And Mm -hmm. while it's nowhere near as deep as what we've done with Watchmen, for instance, uh, I had to read this all in one sitting, which wasn't a bad thing because it's not the deepest storyline in the world, but there's a lot going on. Uh, So I would not recommend doing that. I would say – you know, read a couple issues at a time or read it in two or three sittings. Uh, I didn't have that option because I've just been too busy. And uh, it's a long book, so maybe don't do what I did and read all at once. Valid point. Uh, so yeah, and I think what we will well, we'll get into that in a minute. Uh, so yeah, so this is the time where we're going to let you take a little break, and we're going to uh, let you go ahead and read this book, and then uh, when you come back, we're going to spoil the living shit out of it. So see you on the flip side. If you have yet to read this week's book and would like to read it now. Press pause. Go ahead. We'll wait. So I see this little thing there before we go in, though, that's interesting. It's um, As it's the breakdown, at least on this one thing, it says, Plot and Pencils by Gary Frank. Dialogue by Gary Frank and Peter David. Oh, that's interesting. On which section? Where do you see Um, that? It's the arc history. So it's the one with the big devil face. It's like a particular issue is what you're saying. Right, well, I'm just seeing here, on the yeah, it's, a, it's the start of a particular issue, and it does the breakdown, but uh-huh. it's going, it's got inks, lettering, and everything, but it's going plot by this guy, and says, but I can't write dialogue for shit, so you write the dialogue, but this is the story I want to do. Well, I think it also looks like, uh, looking at other uh, issues as well, oh, I see, okay, I see the one you're talking about. I think what also is probably potentially happening is that Peter David is writing most of the other issues, mm-hmm. and, and Gary Frank is uh, is the artist with him as well. Um, I, my suspicion would be, and I, I'm, this is just my guess, is mm-hmm. that the two of them were collaborating very well, and the artist came up with a good part of the arc, and so he got proper credit for it um, as far as you know, kind of writing the arc and that kind of stuff. 
and building that out. But then, uh, you know, Peter David went through and did part of the dialogue and stuff like that to kind of make sure that it ties in with everything else that he's done. Would be my suspicion as to oh, what that so is. Peter's not a dick. I think that's exactly what it is. I think Peter is willing to share credit and not have to take complete egotistical control and say, no, every, every idea was mine and I'm the only writer. Because, I mean, if you look at the other ones, they're not all that, – that particular issue is, is – uh, identified that way but not all of them are so that would be sure. my sure well i just like uh, peter david more yeah i mean that that's my guess i mean does that sound reasonable to anybody else yeah, no it sounds good yeah. to me but i don't think i've seen that before just broken out in that way yeah i don't think i have either but like i mean that's that's kind of what would make sense to me as being the situation yeah so well cool so um what we're gonna try to do uh because as we said this is 12 issues it's really long and if we try to uh go through everything it's gonna take a while so i have a a, a brief part of uh the summary that i'm going to read off of wikipedia um we will fill in a little bit more of the details and then we will discuss some more stuff that we enjoyed and liked about this book and go into the nitty-gritty details so this is past this point of no return for spoilers so if you haven't read the book yet prepared for it to be ruined um so uh let's talk about linda danvers she is the daughter of policeman fred danvers and his wife sylvia who happens to work for a local preacher she began her life as a uh, less than heroic fashion she was lured into the world of darkness by her boyfriend buzz who is the main villain of uh, villain of this piece total asshole um linda was involved in many illicit and illegal activities such as murder and torture uh, little did she know that uh, she was intended to be sacrificed for a demonic cult for which buzz worked Buzz slashed her with a dagger using her blood to release a demon into the world, but Matrix, the protoplasmic supergirl, uh, which that's a whole other thing, uh, intervened. Uh, she used her shape-shifting powers to, to try plugging the gaps in Linda's wound, but instead became fused with Linda. Linda the Matrix became the new Supergirl, armed with newfound superhuman abilities and the power to change Linda Danvers into a taller Supergirl. Linda began to fight crime and the demonic activity and her road to redemption as all the crimes she committed. I would also like to state that this first issue begins out with uh, Supergirl and or this Matrix character, which I'm going to do some Wikipedia research on this while we're uh, figuring this all out. Okay, uh, anyway, so, uh, but like in the first issue, she's sort of questioning her her life and her fate and what she's actually doing and that kind of thing yeah so basically what ends up happening is, is this buzz character who works for this demonic group he is sort of coming and going and causing havoc into linda Danvers slash supergirl's life and the other interesting thing that happens is the supergirl at the beginning of it is sort of talking about this question of her own um reality and uh the meaning of life and that kind of thing and, and she doesn't necessarily have like a normal human life and she's just sort of heroic and then she gets fused with a very flawed uh girl and so now sort of has this uh new aspect of a life new family that she didn't previously have um which gives her some uh interesting uh issues as well one thing actually i, I should have mentioned before we got to this part of it was mm -hmm. Most of the graphic novels we read, it's like one story. It's like an overarching theme. Mm -hmm. And while this one does have that, it, it is very much a collection of the first 12 issues of this run. Yeah. So it's multiple stories that kind of all, in the end, tie together. But yeah. it's not like one story. It's So when I was reading this and seeing what was happening as far as there was this, you know, uh, this death cult and all this stuff going on, and after I think episode three, uh, issue three is kind of wraps. I'm like, what the fuck? Because then it starts out with a new story, and I think even halfway through it, I think there's like a new artist too. Mm -hmm. If I don't, if I recall, well, there's, there's, a, there's an annual in the middle of it, is what, okay. what it is. Uh, yeah, that's what it was. So I was like, wait, this is kind of weird. So 
So understand this is not just like we did last week with God Loves, Man Kills, where it's one story, or even we were done with, obviously Watchmen is all one story and thing, but this is uh, a, a collection of the issues. It's not so much that you're going to get a full denouement at the end, and I think that's kind of oh. one of the things that bugged me. Oh, denouement, kid, there you go. That's a that's an SAT word. That uh, really is. Yeah. Denouement? A denouement. Well, for us dumb people, would you like to define that for us? Uh, that would be a satisfying conclusion. Thank you. Overall. So so please keep that in mind because it does leave threads dangling because this is meant to be the first part of a series. And I don't know how many issues were in the series. Uh, mm-hmm. And I'm sure uh, Google is your friend. You can go look it up yeah. because I'm tired and lazy. Google that shit. Google it. <laughs> yes, queen. Uh, <laughs> so keep that in mind. But no, it, it's fun, entertaining. And I, actually, I did enjoy it. I was just expecting a conclusion that I didn't get. So maybe think of it like when we read, and actually, well, no, I can't even say that because when when we read Saga, both volumes, mm-hmm. there were still plot threads dangling, but they kind of, there were like, e- each graphic novel was a storyline, and the new one tied back to the old one, but at the same time, it was self-contained, where if you, if you were to start reading volume two, not having read volume one, you'd be lost, because yeah. you have no idea what's going on, but if you read them together, individually and in uh, succession you at least kind of it ends and a new story begins and this one didn't have that so I don't know if that was what they were trying to do uh, I, I felt like that this could have been easily done in two graphic novels instead of one uh, because it does tie back you know issue 12 does tie back into issue one but you're you're not going to get all the answers you want and the ending was very, very much cliched and is one thing that I really dislike when authors do. Yeah, I mean, it is a little hashtag comics. I mean, I, I liked this book. I thought it was fun and interesting, but it does, it reads like a book that's going to be coming out monthly and coming out monthly for a long time. It's not a full arc and it's, uh, but I, I think the thing that I thought was interesting was um, sort of an established semi-established superhero suddenly having to deal with now having a secret identity and having to hide uh, her identity and then deal with uh, you know this new life and things like that um, I will say there are a few weird things in here that bother me and this might be a post 90s sort of uh, slightly more woke thought press on this but there is a lot of, like for a supergirl book which I feel like should be more of a female empowerment thing there's a lot of tits in this book like a lot and the thing that cracks me up is so Linda Danvers's mother towards the end of it ends up setting her up on a blind date which is telegraphed so fucking far away that it's going to end up being the villain that comes as her blind date like anybody could see that was about to happen especially because the character's name is Buzz in the previous issue he had left her a note with a B on it because it's from Buzz and the next thing you read is her mom saying oh Mr. Aldrin will be here soon who the fuck do you think that's gonna be but anyway, Buzz Aldrin. Aldrin. Yes, I know. Oh, I see what you it's, did. Uh, it was his cousin, Mark Aldrin. What? Buzz, uh, yeah. Buzz Little B. Oh, hi, Mark. Uh, hi, Mark. So anyway, but so she's at this dinner with her mom, and she's basically in like a sports bra and like yoga pants, and he fucking shows up in a suit. Her dad's wearing a tie to this dinner, and she still has a midriff showing. I'm like, any normal human being would be like, okay, let me go change. But like she's, mm-hmm. this is what she's wearing to dinner, and like no one seems to be. Able to, oh yeah, oh she's wearing short shorts. She l- literally is wearing like a workout outfit, and I'm mm-hmm. like, 
Really? Before like, leggings were a thing. Yeah, but it was like. And what other... I did, what I really loved too, and this actually might be the point you're going to, was uh, it's issue four or five when uh-huh. it's Judgment Day and the whole thing goes crazy because Gorilla Grodd gets that diamond necklace, which yeah, the Gorilla Grodd show up was kind of fun because I wasn't expecting that. Yeah. There were there were a few references in the show that I or in this book that I only knew from watching uh, uh, the Flash. Did you catch the Watchmen uh, reference, though? Oh, that one I didn't catch, no. Oh, um... What really got me while he's looking for it is the uh, shower where there's blood and water going down the drain. Uh And you can tell it's Gary Frank, it's awesome, but it just screams a Dave Gibbons moment. And that sort of thing would fit perfectly with the Watchmen. So, and that was right right near the very beginning of this book. So you look at this art, and it's... Gary Frank is the artist on this book, but he's not through the entirety of it. I mean, there's a whole lot of issues, and there's some issues where Gary Frank isn't the main artist. And you can tell. So Gary Frank's currently doing Doomsday Clock, which is the spiritual successor sequel to Watchmen. So this came out in the mid-90s, and Gary Frank's still working with DC to this day, coming in and out. And he did, like, Earth-1 Batman. He's done other things with Jeff Johns. And um, his artwork is top-notch. I'd say he's good or better today than he has ever been. And But his heart here is very um, detailed. It's great. This book came out on glossy paper. So it's uh, it looks fantastic. What's interesting, this screams 90s. It does. Um, even more yeah. so than the last book we did was talking we talked about how it was slightly dated looks times of the 80s so and it had hallmarks of art of the 80s but it did not scream of the culture i think so much as this one goes holy fuck 90s reference 90 reference and it's like oh look how hip we are and it Uh seems like it's it was exquisitely drawn and done and there's no I'm not deriding anything of that, but it's the, um, it feels really dated of going, I remember when this was in fashion and I liked it at the time and now going, damn it, why was I wrong and a young idiot type of thing? Like a bald white guy with no mustache, but a goatee, like the bottom Uh of a goatee screams Uh, Uh nineties. Like I mentioned before, like when, when Buzz Aldrin comes over, uh, Buzz, the villain comes over for dinner, they play six degrees of Kevin Bacon. At one point, she skateboards around. She wears a plaid shirt. The midriffs, they show up everywhere. There's a lot of midriffs. Like, and the the Supergirl costume changes about three or four times in the course of this book as well. Oh, it sure does. And you have this Linda Danvers as is going through this. And um, for me, it's Kara that I'm familiar with. And it's, I mean, you take a look at Heroes to the Ages. I mean, the Flash has changed names half a dozen times with different characters. There's nothing wrong mm-hmm. with that. It's just I had no idea that Linda Danvers was Wonder Woman, was um, Supergirl for yeah. a time. For me, yeah. for this, I'm like, I had no idea about this. And is it just me being ignorant is it something that didn't really touch the lexicon of the cultural zeitgeist zeitgeist well, your other word next to data yeah. well the other thing is like so according to the wikipedia like it, it's sort of a known thing i guess did anybody else catch the uh, spider-man reference in there i didn't catch a spider-man reference. i did not know no so when buzz aldrin first shows up at the door uh it's a full page thing and he uh, or it ends with a full page thing but just before it, he says uh face it tigress you just hit the jackpot which is Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. A version of uh, what Mary Jane says to uh, Spider-Man. So, yeah, so the Watchmen reference is it's uh, issue, I think, four or five. It's when the, the Day of Judgment, where everyone's going crazy, and Gorilla Grodd has the, the necklace, and Supergirl is, like, his bitch now. And uh, there's a part where the cop fights a guy, and the doctor fights a guy, and they both shoot each other. 
and then on the next page, Supergirl's going down to find something, and she reaches down to what well, I guess is the snow, mm-hmm. and she finds a piece of cloth. And in the upper left, it's on the it's on the left hand page, the far right panel. Uh, as she reaches for that, above it there is the comedian's button with blood on it. So, oh yeah, I see what you're yeah. talking about. So that is your that is your Watchmen thing. Yeah. Actually, so what what's funny is you mentioned the whole the boobs thing. Is I find it really interesting that we know that Supergirl has gone bad when she's being possessed by that thing mm-hmm. is because she so, shows up looking slutty. Well, and me being a heterosexual male, I also noticed that Linda Danvers' boobs are smaller than Supergirl's, so when she turns from Supergirl to, uh, like, even without the hair color, her uh-huh. boobs get a little bit bigger in the shirt that she's wearing. And see, I did not notice that as a homosexual male, so... <laughs> yeah. Todd, did you catch that, or was that just me? Oh, I absolutely noticed that. Yeah, okay. So, yes. Oh, you missed it? Oh, damn, it's just me. I'm the perv. I'm sorry. No, I, still... I saw it, too. Yeah. I'm perverted with you. <laughs> I, I, I do find it funny that even, you know... Again, the difference is it's only you know twenty some odd years ago. Yeah, that uh, the way you could tell a woman was a bad person is that she dressed slutty. Mm-hmm. Right, oh, and she had that going on. I mean, this has a lot of references. We had read um, Birds of Prey mm-hmm. a couple episodes back. When I say it's been a, couple, more than a couple, it's been a long time. Maybe like fifty, maybe. I'll look it up real fast, but it's been a while. Go ahead. It's been Something a long, like that. Yeah, it was a long time ago. It was a long time ago, and this art is a lot of reminiscent of that. I mean, you have all these characters and these girls hanging around, and they're, I mean, you have Oracle that is confined to a wheelchair because she can no longer walk, and yet she's got the, um, it, I mean, it pushes on cheesecake in a lot yeah. of aspects. That Birds of Prey really pushed on cheesecake. Would you say style. cheesecake by the ocean? <sighs> <laughs> Oh my God, Todd! <laughs> oh, okay, never mind. That's I'm a horrible person. I'll just leave it there. So thank you. Todd, it was 48 issues uh, episodes ago. We did Birds of Prey. All right, so 50 is really pretty close. Holy shit! <laughs> we did that on episode 54 in uh, oh. April of last year. Is when we did that. Wow, that's yeah. awesome. We're after that deep cut. Is what yeah. that references. <laughs> so you should go listen to us talking about the cheesecake of birds of prey. Probably sound like idiots, but well, it, it, it might still be entertaining. Yeah, we're still idiots today. That's fine. <laughs> that's so, true. That, but at least we know change. it now. Yeah, we're more clear about that. So, <laughs> and you know, the writing was great and whatnot, but the art, I mean, uh, the 90s of the time is you've got all these people that are super, I mean, I mean, even Jim Lee style, uh, you have the wild storm and stuff going on, and Rob Liefeld is, let's just um everything is just super exaggerated Mm -hmm. so i mean everyone's waist was like 12 inches and everyone's bust was like a 32 triple f i swear Mm -hmm. and this still has aspects of it and you sounds like oh i'm going from villain to good girl blonde brunette and going back and my bust size changes in the whole thing i mean you've got this main character that's proto matter that could be anything she wants and yet it's Things as it's drawn, and it's drawn great, and the story's going on, but it's just so speaks of the times, and it drew me out of the story as much as anything else. Is the the, the art the art? I keep saying it was well done because it was drawn well. It was distracting. Yeah, I would say that. I would say that uh, the cheesecake aspect of this was distracting. Uh, there's one uh, there's one scene towards the end where she's talking on the phone to her mom, but like. Her legs are, are spread, and her kind of skirt kind of covers her crotch, but then her hand is awkwardly placed. Like, it looks like the cover of a porn movie. 
almost uh or maybe i'm just perverted we've, we've also established that i am you know i, I see the dirty things so that's true too we're all perverts here and but you, you're watching this here it's like i'd be a little bit uncomfortable like it's if I was oh. reading this and flipping through it and my wife glanced over and she would go, Todd, what are you reading? And I'm like, so uh... here's a, oh my God. So here's a better question for you, actually. Would you be more embarrassed for your wife to catch you reading this or Saga? It's this. Yeah. For me, it's this. I mean, Saga makes no bones about what it's doing. And yet it's there and yet it's not um, over-sexualizing it. Mm-hmm. And, and and for this, everything just seems to be a bit amped up, like we're all high on meth and rolling on Molly. So uh, so someone that actually doesn't have any experience being high on meth or rolling on Molly, so what do I know? Yeah, going on there, it's the art and the, um, the style of the times was distracting to me. And you have the Linda Danvers story, and you have the proto-matter, and she fused with this other being, and yet she has all the problems and the memories, and it's it's kind of a fun romp as it's going through, and it's fine that way, but she can turn invisible, and I'm like, what the fuck? Well, um, Supergirl can become this invisible ghost? Well, that's no. Mm-hmm. That was kind of interesting and different. And that was part of that the Matrix character. Uh, yeah. Like, that, that's part of their powers. So, and it's like book one in the beginning of the Matrix thing, and I'm like, I don't know about this. As much as anything else is, it was, you're using a character's name, and you're introducing, it seems to me, like a whole new power set that I assumed didn't evolve. Because when I hear Supergirl, I'm like, oh, it's like Superman. Well, and apparently she can, like, transform into different modes, like beast mode and stuff. I was like, is this like, yeah, this it was, as someone who's not as very well versed in uh-huh. the Supergirl character outside of the TV show, which I do have fun with. Uh-huh. Uh, I was very... I wasn't confused, but I was kind of like, I didn't know she could do that. I thought she was just has Superman's powers, because she's from Krypton, and his right. cousin, and yeah, like, when did she start having Fantastic Four powers? Sure, I mean, like, with X-Men, I have no issue with all the different characters having extremely different power sets. That's the point. <laughs> and that's like, that, that, that is absolutely the point, but I hear like, oh, Kryptonian Supergirl must be like Superman, Krypton, it's gotta be, you know, A for A, and why do I have this assumption that it's the same thing? But it's absolutely there. So, I've got the 90s going on, going, wow, that is so very 90s, and then I've got this Huh. At least they're trying something different. And, you know, they're going for it and they're trying something different. And I enjoyed reading this and it was fine. But it has me questioning as they're, are they using the title of Supergirl as a platform for telling their new story? Or are they um, trying to evolve the character or doing something a bit different? Because Linda Danvers, all I can think of, Danvers, Danvers. Fuck, that's Miss Marvel from Marvel. Yeah, Carol Danvers. Carol Danvers, Carol Danvers yeah. is my boss, yeah. so we're using this Danvers name again. So we've got this Lens superhero that's badass and taking names, and yet it still seems to be keep getting caught in hot pants and in midriffs going on dates with weird people and having a tough time going on. And it's it's not aging great. No, I think the I, I think the story actually has some really interesting things to it. And I actually liked that, but I think uh-huh. art and the hypersexualization of it, I think that ends up becoming distracting. The Gorilla Grodd storyline, where he mm-hmm. ends up kind of controlling and taking over people's minds, and is pretty interesting. And then there's this weird little like little kid with a baseball bat who sort of follows her around. Who you start to realize a little. Bit. I, I got to imagine he has a bigger role in this uh, I later. Hope so. 
I really uh, enjoyed Gorilla Grodd. I'd, I'd seen him a little yeah. bit in some of the animated shows. Yeah. yeah, this is my first comic of coming across Gorilla Grodd. Yeah, yeah. that was a lot of fun, and I enjoyed that. So, um, it, yeah. Yeah, I didn't realize, we're speaking of the hypersexuality of this, I did not realize until flipping through this just now that there is a complete, pan, well, not complete, but there is definitely a panty shot in this uh, book as well, <laughs> actually. It's uh, when, uh, it's, the, it's the sequence with the, I don't know what the character's name, if you guys can help me. It's the, the woman who is, like, yellow with a mohawk, um, who is about to beat the shit out of her uh, her assistant? You know that that sequence rampage. I'm talking about. Yeah, rampage. So right as well as she should, by the way. So mm-hmm. oh, absolutely, absolutely. But when uh, Supergirl is holding that assistant upside down to get the information out of her, I originally noticed that the shirt was about to fall off. I didn't notice until I flipped back through that you can see her underwear as well. What's interesting and to see how times has changed. Greg Rucka came back and did 25 issues of Wonder Woman after taking quite an extended break from DC. Uh-huh. One of his requirements, though, is he had a final sign-off on the covers. Frank uh-huh. Cho, who is a really good artist, but has uh-huh. done quite the exaggerated female form in a lot of ways, was doing a variant yes, does. for yeah. Wonder Woman. And um, he had one where there was a slight brief glimpse of Wonder Woman's panties mm-hmm. and this modern thing. And uh, Greg Rucker rejected it and says, oh, no, you don't. Mm-hmm. And it became a bit of a... Uh, a lot of news was made things and Frank Cho walked away from doing the rest of the variant covers he was hired to do. Mm-hmm. And he was going, oh, you're violating my freedom of speech. And Rucka went, fuck you. This is all work for hire. There is no freedom of speech. Because they came in under contract with Rucka having final say. And he's like, yeah. we're not doing panty shots of this character. And that's just the case of it. And Cho would try to Cho submitted one that did not meet Rucka's standards, and there was a big disagreement about that. Working for a very large corporation, I agree with Rucka on that. If you're an artist, you're an artist, but if you are working for a corporation, which it's worked for hire, it's worked for hire, they are the client. You deliver what the client wants. Like, you Mm -hmm. know, even when I'm at smaller theaters where I get to be artistic, quote unquote, it's still I'm delivering a product for the producers and the director. Like, ultimately, even if the show isn't what I want it to be, I'm there to do a job. You know what I mean? I can, I can mm-hmm. be all artistic all I want, but you know, if I'm trying to get paid for what I'm wanting to be, to, do, to be artistic, I gotta fucking listen to whoever's paying the bills. Like that's, that's right. You're satisfying the customer there, and yeah. so you're watching this. So in um, today's climate, I would have a tough time seeing DC putting out this book and. No, let me rephrase that because they're they're publishing it, so it's not yeah. that they're not putting it out because they're definitely recognizing that this is a that look at our past work and it's a new publication. And yeah. you're looking at this, it's on shiny paper. They're doing a good job of presenting it in the best possible light and like you know press presentation. So I'm not saying they're ashamed of it by any means, but I do not see current works being published to this degree. I think the story could be published nowadays. I don't think there's really anything wrong with the writing, really, other mm-hmm. than like some dated references and things like that. Um, and I mean, I, I don't think you would have Carol Danvers being not Carol Danvers. Mm-hmm. See, that's part, that's part of the problem too. Yeah. Um, uh, but uh, I don't think you would have this bad ex-boyfriend storyline being quite so prevalent. You know what I mean? I think you might like. I think you might have part of it, but not as much. But it, I think the art would most definitely be different. If this book was published currently, the art would be significantly different. Yes. Um, 
I, I think that's probably the biggest point to make out of all of this, aside from proving the fact that we're comic book pervs who are looking at uh, dirty pictures of uh, Supergirl. I don't know. Uh, um, and really, really fast, speaking of, of, of uh, an artist who's kind of made it big and can kind of do what he wants, mm-hmm. uh, we've got a uh, local Utah boy, Ryan Otley, yes. who's mm-hmm. done so much work with Invincible, which, you know, Brian, I know, I know you love that one. Uh, I bought some of uh, some pages from Invincible. You did, yes, you did, yeah. and he did one of my favorite. Uh, very, very. It was a three uh, three issue run of Grizzly Shark, which is mm-hmm. the if you love Jaws or anything else, it's the it's one of the most joyful, funniest, goriest books you'll ever read in your life. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. He actually just signed a thing with Marvel where he will be doing all the artwork for the new Amazing Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a brilliant choice. Yeah, I think with uh, I... Nick Spencer writing. And, but yeah, mm-hmm. Brian getting there. So kind of he's, again, he started out kind of small, did the indie thing, and he's been growing and growing in popularity. And now he's stepping out into the limelight and doing some really cool stuff. So that's fantastic. If you've got some Ryan Otley artwork, like Brian does, uh, hold on to that because I could, you know, we, we could say, we, we could say we knew him when, because I, I, he's come to Comic-Con multiple times mm-hmm. and I've yeah. met him on multiple occasions and he's just the most down to earth, nicest guy to get a rope to meet. So when I was getting, uh, those pieces of art from him, I, cause I knew Invincible was ending and I love Invincible. I was like, so do you know what you're doing next? And he sort of sheepishly smiled at me like, yeah, I know. And I'm like, okay, I was just happy the guy was working. Cause I think he's a good dude and a great artist. So I'm like, great, you're working amazing. And then that news came out and I was like, holy shit. Yeah. He's doing really, really well. Good for him. Anyway, uh, I'm kind of needing a drink. How are y'all feeling about that? Yeah, I'm right there. Behold, Mr. Boom. we finally fulfill the second half of our Mr. title. And make with the fire water. Alcoholics transform. So once again, Mr. Maya and I, we both had similar ideas, and we took our cocktails from the same issue. An issue which, oddly enough, we haven't talked about. So I'll bring that up briefly. Uh, so when one of the issues, there's this big chemical monster thing. It's sort of a weird little like side note aside from this uh, devil worshiping uh, Buzz cult leader stuff. Uh, but so. Um, my cocktail is called the Green Monster Bellini. Um, it's six ounces of Izzy Sparkling Apple uh, Soda, uh, one and a half ounces of bourbon, a splash of champagne, and uh, one fourth cup of diced apples. Uh, you mix the sparkling uh, apple with bourbon and a splash of champagne in a tall Collins glass, fill with ice, and you garnish with the diced apples. Mr. Maya chose Chemo, which is a Midori Sour, which is the name of the character. Not Midori Sour, but Chemo is the name of the, the big sort of uh, chemical monster thing. His cocktail is uh, one and a half ounces of Midori Melon Liqueur, two ounces of Sour Mix, one and a half ounces of fresh lime juice, one dash of lemon lime soda. Add all the ingredients except for the soda to a rocks glass um, with ice and stir, and then he tops with the soda and garnish with a maraschino cherry. Mr. Adam, what is your cocktail? Uh, so mine is called uh, Satan's Whiskers, going along with okay. my, my drinking game rule. Uh, so this one is, you take one ounce of gin, half ounce of sweet vermouth, half ounce of dry vermouth, half ounce of Grand Marnier, one ounce of fresh squeezed orange juice, and fresh squeeze is the big thing because it has a different taste, uh, and one dash of orange bitters, add it to a shaker with ice, shake the shit out of it, and then uh, strain into a chilled cocktail glass. And Mr. Todd, what is your uh, cocktail? I'm sensing a theme for today. Okay. Because mine is called, it's, I've lifted it from somewhere else. It's known as the Green Demon Drink, so it's a demon drink. So uh-huh. this is one ounce of Midori, which is a melon liqueur, one ounce of vodka, an ounce of white rum, and lemonade to taste. 
So you build the liqueurs into a large goblet and um, top with lemonade. You stir the shit out of it and then you um, top it with a wine wheel garnish just on the side of right there. And you enjoy and drink the shit out of that. So I know that there are some issues that we don't didn't totally discuss. We kind of did a broad overview mm-hmm. of uh, this work and a lot of discu- a lot more discussion about art than we typically do on this show, which is fine. Let's just go around. Um, let's each kind of uh, discuss some of our favorite issues from this book in particular, since it is sort of a, a large swath of the run of this book. Uh, Mr. Adam, we'll start with you. Okay, so actually, I, I I did really enjoy the couple issue arc with the crazy necklace that made everyone crazy, and Gorilla Grodd was in charge of it. For me, that almost kind of felt like an episode of the X Files, where everyone's yeah. going crazy, or, or Buffy, or Angel, or one of those type of shows. Uh, it felt very thema- uh, cinematic. It was very fun, even though I I had issues with the fact that we we show Supergirl is a bad person because she's being slutty. Uh, mm-hmm. It was fun to read. It was interesting, and it did kind of lay the seeds for future plot and exposition that happened down the road. Uh, as far as with the, with the blind day with Buzz and everything else, but I don't know. It, for me, it, it felt like I was watching the X Files, and as a huge fan of the X Files, I had a lot of fun with that, and it was interesting. So, Todd, what's some of your favorite stuff in this book? You know, what I did enjoy as much as the differences that I've talked about is this is not the Supergirl I know. Is at the beginning of the book, you have this introduction as you've got Supergirl going into like ghost mode where nobody can see her, and then you see her shift from a blonde to a brunette. And you're like, what am I reading here? What is being set up? And it's setting up so many questions I'm looking to have answered. I I rather enjoyed the litany of questions coming on. And it's like, so what am I looking for? And I'm on answers on this why. And it's like, is this intriguing enough to keep going? And I did indeed keep going on having that intrigue and going, who is this Danvers person? Why is she shifting back and forth between these two different people? And she can go into ghost mode. Well, if she can go into ghost mode, what other things can she do? And I just had a good time with that. And I'm like, you know, this is an interesting way to go about it. And it was um, fun to look at and watch. Yeah, um, I agree. I thought that was a really engaging thing. And we've kind of discussed a little bit when we talked about Superman books. I think one of the most interesting things about Superman, when I've read a few mm-hmm. of them, is it's the philosophy. It's not the action. You know what yeah. I mean? I think that's something that, that this actually does really well at, is uh, showing philosophy. It has some discussions of heaven and hell, nature of good and evil. Um, so there is some interesting philosophical stuff in there. It doesn't get as deep as other things that we've read, but it does hark on some interesting issues, and it uh, it just doesn't really answer a lot of questions. Like it, it feels like it has some questions, but it doesn't necessarily have total points of view, at least not just yet in what we've read so far. I feel like maybe that might show up at some other point. My other question was, is did anyone ever get, anyone else get the sense, or maybe it's just me, that the character of Buzz was somewhat of a reference or maybe ripped off a little bit uh, from either Constantine and or uh, the vampire character in Preacher, whose name Cassidy. is escaping me right Cassidy. now. Cassidy. Did anybody else get that vibe, or is that just me? Um, he, in, again, in some of the issues with a different uh, artist, he did kind of look like Cassidy, so actually I, I do see that. Uh, mm-hmm. As far as his character, though, I mean, as much as if we're doing the D&D alignment thing Cassidy very much is chaotic neutral yeah this character is very much more mm-hmm. chaotic evil uh, mm-hmm. so I I can see the resemblance and I'm, I'm sure because again this was about the same time Preacher came out I don't know if actually no when did Preacher come out was it same time was well, that really 20 years ago no Preacher Preacher was in the 90s sure yeah I just don't know if this was like 
And this was I don't know which one came first. It was 20 years ago. My God, we're old. Uh, so Creature was 75 issues. It was published between 95 and 2000, and this came out in okay, 96. So, so, that's, so they're very yes. much contemporaries. Contemporaries. So you can yeah. see where artists may have drawn inspiration. And, and mm-hmm. this is a funny thing, too, because uh, we, we talk about uh, you know whether or not something was ripped off or came from before and influenced things going on. And I think when, when you have something like Preacher that was such a, a cultural milestone, and what, we, we've read that, too, and we've talked mm-hmm. about how dated that is, it brings to mind the whole Louis C.K. slash Dane Cook thing, where Louis C.K. said Dane Cook stole jokes from him. Mm-hmm. And as much as Louis C.K. is an asshole for the shitty things he did to woman, there's a great episode of his TV show, Louis, where he has a scene where he confronts Dane Cook, and it's a very un- it's one of the most uncomfortable things I've ever seen. Uh-huh. But where they kind of have this real discussion, quote-unquote real discussion, for this TV show, but you can't help but wonder if it actually was hey, we're going to sit in a room and talk, and you're going to film it, and then we'll say it's part of the show, where Louis C.K. says, I don't think you meant to steal it. I think you're just a sponge, and you soak up everything around you, and I influence you in some way where you would use some of my same jokes. So I would think in this kind of situation, yes, it is reminiscent of Cassidy. Do Mm -hmm. I think that they were out and out trying to copy the character? No. I think it was more the artist or the writer may have seen something with Preacher and thought, oh, hey, this is cool. And honestly, for all we know, this was written before Preacher. It was the same way that people said that the uh, the new Dread movie was ripping off um, uh, The Raid. So pe- mm. people were saying that Dread ripped off The Raid because it's the same story, when in actuality, they were both being filmed at the same time. One was in Korea, one was in America. So it could have just been coincidence could have been something more mm-hmm. but I, I honestly don't think they were trying to rip them off I think it was just sure. it, it could have been I was slightly influenced yeah. I saw something and then as I'm drawing this character it popped in my head I don't know where it came from but it happened but yes I can definitely see where you're coming from and we right. spent way too long discussing the uh, similarities between Buzz and Cassidy because that's kind of a small very a very the small cultural point cultural zeitgeist I know. It, it, yes yeah but, but that's the thing is that I think that there, there's also in history you can see where uh, because of the time frame and things like that, that there are multiple artists and writers who come up with very similar concepts because they're influenced in similar ways by uh-huh. similar things that they're not necessarily stealing off of each other but they're they might be inspired by the same things and and so it's not necessarily I guess for me and I know we're spending way too much time on this but that's okay I don't really care um, it, it, it's not that he the Cassidy you know the character of Cassidy was stolen for this comic but that there might be some other third or fourth option or, or combination of things that inspired both these artists and writers uh, for a character I mean the fact that he has a British accent uh, you know I mean like to have a, a British villain and call it love so- uh, I mean it's like it makes you wonder who it's Maybe based off Johnny of, and I almost wonder. Oh, fuck him. Well, or I'm almost wondering. It, it, I'm actually, to be honest with you, I think maybe more than likely, I think it might be Grant Morrison. Ah. Um, like that would be my suspicion. Like I think that's who they're basing it off of. Like I such a weirdo. Like you know, I love him so much. Yeah, but like, but like, I, I, I mean, a Scottish, you know, writer who was working at DC uh-huh. about the same time, I could see him influencing both like these both these writers into having a character similar. And that's to that. meta that, that's enough, just wild. No, wild you know it's there and it's meta yeah. enough that they would like, dude, I'll do this and Grant will say, Fuck yeah, that's cool. Cause fuck Grant Morrison. Dude, yeah. I love Grant Morrison. Well, 
we will get into Grand Morris at some other point in time because he is Batman Inc. Really? Oh, okay, yeah. Great. I Back... love Grant Morrison. Do you love Batman Inc. Though it's okay. It's stupid. It's I'm okay. sorry. Batman Inc. Sucks. It's okay. It sucks, dude. I like other Grant Morrison. I will defend other Grant Morrison, but Batman Inc. is this pile of shit. It's okay. Um, it really bothered me. Okay, I, I, I hear you. I own Batman Inc. and I've read it, and a part of the whole thing, it's kind of there, but he's he's so bizarre. And, you know, there's like two kinds of comic readers in the world, those that love Grant Morrison and those that don't. He had his own fucking yeah, con for himself. And no one showed up. Which is so meta and awesome. Let's take the one thing about <laughs> Batman that's amazing that he's a vigilante you can do what no one else does and let's recreate it across the entire fucking continent. Never mind. I'm sorry. <laughs> Adam, I'm with you. I, I don't like that book either. I really don't. Which one? Batman Inc. or Batman Inc. Volume 1 or Batman Inc. Volume 2? Fuck you. Oh, God. Yes. A- Adam Adam needs to go night-night. Uh, yes. Okay, cool. Does it, let's let's uh, jump into grades here. Jamie, school is never a waste of time. Since we have 15 minutes until recess, please put down your pencils and stare at the front of the room. It's report card time. It's report card time. It's report card time. I'm so fucking bummed. God, please, no! 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 So Mr. Maya has once again sent me his uh, his grades. I'm surprised he's still at work. It's very late for him. It is late for um, Mr. Maya. Uh, so for story for Mr. Peter David, uh, Mr. Maya gave it a B. Um, I will say it's... I will give it a... I'm actually going to give it an A-. minus. I actually kind of like the story. I thought it went some interesting places. Um, it was not anything that I was expecting out of this book, but I enjoyed, I enjoyed what it was, and I actually am interesting enough that I'm, I'm probably going to go buy volume two and keep reading mm-hmm. um, mainly for the writing. Uh, Mr. Adam, what is your grade for a writer? Uh, I'm going to go with a B because I, I did enjoy the story. I liked, even though it, it took a couple issues to understand, this wasn't one full story. It was the beginning of it. And yes, there were some overtones that uh, came back in. Uh, it, it did end very unfulfilling. And I, I think they mm-hmm. could have done a better job with the story if they would have ended at a different issue or done something better. Uh, but it kind of played into the whole, oh, it was only a dream, but it wasn't kind of thing, which is like the laziest trope you can ever do. Like, so this is, oh, it was only a dream was what I came up with, you know, legitimately came up with when they said, hey, write a short story when I was in first fucking grade. And I thought it was so uh-huh. clever because I was five. So, uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, that's how I felt. Like I remember, actually, I was sitting here because uh, Todd came over, and I got home from work and was powering through it, and I was like, "Wait, that was it? That was the end?" Because it says "the end" in bold in the middle of a sentence. I was like, "That makes no fucking sense." So, yeah, the 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 last issue was kind of bullshit as far as the last couple panels because it has that very much like. It was all a dream, yay! But it wasn't a dream. But you know, it, so that pissed me off. But I, I did like seeing Supergirl finally understanding what it's like to be human, to have a quote unquote soul, to have parents, to have a backstory that she never had before. So that was really fun, and it had the X Files monster of the week type thing going for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, the ending really did cheese me off. So, Mr. Todd, what is your grade for writing? I'm gonna give it a B B minus. Um, 
the cool thing with this proto matter Supergirl with Linda Danvers is it's um, you have all these things with a backstory, but what it is is an anchor and something to relate to. And it's um, they tried that, and I think it worked pretty well. But you know, I'm not going to get book two at the end of the day, okay. and I think that falls to the writing. Is um, they had some interesting ideas and some exploration. But it didn't whet my appetite enough um, to go after right away. And if I do get book two, it's going to be um, near the bottom of my pile of things to get next. So there's other things I'd much rather read next than book two of this. Okay, no, I, I get that. Uh, cool. Then for art, I'm gonna. Maya basically said uh, he gave it a B for Gary Frank and Brett Belvin's issues. Uh, C on everything else because there are a few other uh, different. Uh, artists that come in here um i am going to just focus on uh gary frank's work i'm going to give it a b as well i thought the art was well done if not a little bit perverted but i will also say that that potentially has a lot more to do with the time frame than anything else um so uh, mr todd what is your grade for art i give it a b as well i think some of the stuff gary frank is putting out today is far superior to this work mm -hmm. Um, he's on Doomsday Clock. He's done, um, I referenced it before, but um, Batman Earth One with Jeff Johns is most excellent and she's definitely worth a read. And I think that is much better than the work he did here. Not that it's bad. Technically, it's done really well, but I just really dig his other stuff better. So it's a B. I mean, nothing's bad, but it's not great. Uh, and Mr. Adam, what is your grade? Uh, I'm on the same score with Maya. Like the open, the opening issues have great artwork that draw you in. That's really entertaining. Uh, it, it looks really good. It still holds up after you know 20 some odd years. And then again, because this is not just like one graphic novel slash story, this is the first 12 issues of a run. When they change the artist, it's very jarring because suddenly these characters you've known for you know if you're reading it straight through an at at least an hour because it's it's a, a long book just change and look so different. It's almost it jars you and pulls you out of the experience. And I'm sure if I'd been reading this issue by issue, it wouldn't have been such a big deal. But as a collection, it doesn't work. And so mm -hmm. I fully understand that artists need to go work on other projects. And they can't just stay in one book forever unless you're Ron Ollie with like Invincible or Dave Gibbons with Watchmen. But at least pick someone whose art style is somewhat similar because they have to understand at this point in time that, yes, we are going to release this as a, gra a novelization or a graphic novel. And when you do that, it just... It, it, it just pulls you out, and it took me at least an issue to get used to the new look of the characters to where it wasn't bugging me. So, And then for overall grades, um, I'm going to give it a B plus. Like I liked it in general. I thought it was fun. A uh, little dated, uh, but uh, enjoyable enough that I'm still interested enough in reading something else. Uh, from this, uh, Mr. Adam, what is your overall grade? I'm going to go with a, a solid B. I, again, it was a fun book. I enjoyed most of it. The writing was pretty good. I, I'm interested to know more of the story, but I'm with Todd where I'm not going to go rush out and buy the next book because I'm not that invested. But it was kind of cool. I, I enjoyed it. Uh, but for me, the biggest attractor was the change of artists halfway through. So that was the that pulled me out too much to where it did lower my score a little bit but again it's, it's not a bad book by any means it's a b is a good grade that's at least like an 85 out of 100 so i would say 
put it on your list, but we we've done more books recently, like Superman Secret Identity, which was a lot of fun, which we all really loved. I would definitely say read that first before you uh you hop into this one. Mr. Maya agrees with you and he gave it an overall B as well. And uh Mr. Todd, uh what's your overall grade? You no, know, it's a B minus C plus for me. It um the the nineties era was distracting. It's almost like if I would watch Clueless for the first time today going, if I had never watched this before and I'm reading it now, it's like, huh, that's interesting. And it um, technically, all of it's really good. The writing was well, the art was well done, but it's, it, it's not a charmingness of another era. It's the idiosyncrasies of another era that I think is what got me at the end of the day. It's not bad, but it's not great, and I don't think anyone will talk about this at the end of the day. It won't stand out as being like a, you know, long-term, you know, It's just part of the flowing river of material coming through. Cool. Well, then uh, let's jump into recommendations. And now it's time for recommendations. That time in the show where the panel tells you all the crap they are currently into, but will forget about as soon as they see something shiny. You're a stamp tramp. How dare you? And what is that? You give your stamp of approval to everything. It's become meaningless. Why can't you be more like your wife? Lily's stamp is gold. I'm reading this book because of her. I'm drinking this beer because she recommended it. I'm even wearing this bra because of a lingerie store Lily told me about. Does anybody have anything to die to get off the chest? Yes. So the the one I, t- I talked about a couple episodes ago that I was like, it's a game I got. I want to play it and figure it out before I recommend it. Uh, it mm-hmm. is called Kingdom Come Deliverance. So mm-hmm. this is on PS4, Xbox, and PC. It is, uh, if you've ever played Skyrim, same type of game. It's a medieval mm-hmm. action RPG but the cool thing is, is it uh, it's based in reality, where it takes place in the Dark Ages in Bohemia, in a civil war that happened, and you are the son of a blacksmith, and shit goes down, and you escape, and you now have to kind of go back and, you know, I'm, I'm not that far into the game yet to know what's going on, but kind of avenge your family. But this is very much based in real life, where there's no magic. So you don't get to cast spells because this is real life. It's based on historical events where you interact with historical people, and the the way that people act, dress, and do things is based in real life. You're also the son of a blacksmith, which means you are more interested in chasing down ladies and having your way with them than learning to sword fight. So you suck as a sword fighter. Like the game starts out, your village is being plundered. You run your ass off because if you try to fight the guards, you will be killed. You, there, there's no way around that. You will just die because you suck at what you do. Uh, but the more you do things, the better you get. And you have to do things like if you're going to go, if you have to go sneak into a place and impress the uh, the royalty, you better go take a bath because you stink. It's fun. It's realistic. It's it's gorgeous. It's it's, it's a really cool game, and it came out of nowhere. It was definitely a sleeper hit. And then when I, when I picked it up about three days after it came out because it was this little no-name studio that launched this game that just got rave reviews. I think I got like the last copy in all of Utah. <laughs> and again, this is a couple weeks ago that was as we record this, but it's really fun and engaging and you get to do cool stuff. So if you like the RPG hack and slash, but strategic type games like Dark Souls or uh, Bloodborne, you're going to have fun with this. So 
Mr. Todd, do you have a recommendation? I actually have two today. Um, wow, one, making up for mine not being here. I know, right? Is the um, the marvelous Mrs. Maisel, and it's a uh, from. It's actually created and written initially by the um, Amy Sherman Palandino. She did Gilmore Girls, but this takes place in late fifties, early sixties era. And New York of a woman who gets quickly um, separated, divorced, and becomes a stand-up comic. And it is charming and delightful as fuck. And I have thoroughly enjoyed this. These characters are real. It's got Tony Shalhoub as the main character's father. It is an absolute riot. And it's a whole lot of fun. So it's on Amazon Prime. It's an Amazon Prime original. So that's the only place you can find it. But it is a whole lot of fun, and it's um, Amy, my wife's loving it, and actually, I really enjoy it as well. So, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, it's hilarious. Um, the second one I want to recommend, actually, it says, I'm continuing my heart on for Donny Cates. He wrote a book called The Ghost Fleet, The Whole Goddamn Thing. That's the title of the book. So, take the um, initial idea of the transporter, but make it an 80s action flick and make it a uh, semi-trucks instead. And they're transporting stuff that is more related to the devil comes out himself. And um, this is also the guy that did God Country. And he's um, been writing the latest run on Doctor Strange, and he's announced he's going to be writing for Venom as well with X-Men's Fresh Start. Donny Cates is um, fearless. He's doing a wonderful job, and I love this guy. It is awesome. You should read it. Cool. Um, and then I'm going to recommend a um, Kickstarter campaign from a friend of us uh, named uh, Andrew Mullen. Uh, he is. Uh, he did a previous Kickstarter that uh, I gave, I think everybody in the podcast, a copy of, uh, where he had done a thing called Craption Comics, where he took old Golden Age comics and he oh, put yeah, uh, yeah. Crafts, mm-hmm. a lot of comments on it. So um, he has another project. This one's definitely more cleaner and more suitable for the kids, but it looks really fun. Um, I uh, am a backer on it currently, and it has met its goal, but uh, I still, uh, as, a, as of when this comes out, it still has like a, a few days, uh, so you can still get in on this if you want. It's called uh, Edison Bell Maker Projects uh, from the comics, uh, from the Golden Age of Comics, and it's a, a young kid who, uh, it's these old comics where he builds little devices that hum- somehow save him at the end of uh, every issue, and it comes with the blueprints so that you can make them yourselves as well. Um, it just looks kind of fun, uh, so uh, if you're interested in helping kind of support uh, somebody who's kind of trying to do some interesting things with the Golden Age of Comics and keep those alive and well, um, I'd recommend checking that out. The group that's doing it is um, Valetti, I guess, B-E-L-L-E-I-T-Y Studios, um, and they're on Kickstarter, and the uh, campaign closes on uh, April 11th of 2018 at 9 a.m., so uh if you have a little money, you want to get some comics and learn how to make some stuff, which is what I'm excited about, uh, go give that a try and check that all out. Yeah, I think uh, that'll just about do it for us, I think. Anybody else got anything else? No, I think that'll do it. Cool, cool. Uh, so next week, actually, we start a month uh, in April. We are doing uh, kind of like we did with uh, Watchmen, but a little 
bigger of a thing. Um, we're going to do a deep dive into a run of Batman books called War Games. Uh, the first book we're doing next week is called War Drums, and then we'll do War Games Act 1, 2, and 3, and then the follow-up, War Crimes. Uh, this is a recommendation from Todd, mm-hmm. uh, who has been trying to get me to read this for a while, so uh, now we're doing it on the show, so we have an excuse to read it. Uh, Todd, you want to give us a head up, heads up what we're going to be encountering next month? Boobies. So, boobies. Ah. Why not? Um, this is a big old event arc, so the entire Bat family will be involved, and it's where the world of Gotham comes to its knees because of some actions of one Stephanie Brown, and all the shit goes down and things that go around it. It's a whole lot of fun. It's um, written by a whole bunch of authors. Um, Bill Willingham is involved. He's the guy behind Fables. He did some amazing stuff, and so is a bunch of other people. So you see Cassandra Kane as Batgirl, you've got Tim Drake as your Robin, and you've got Batman, everything going on, and a whole bunch of other characters. This happened over a long period of time, and it was one of the big events I really loved with the whole Bat family. So it's going to be a whole lot of fun to read. So here's the deal. You can buy all these as individual trades, or you can do what I did, which is you buy them in two, like just big collections of it. So the question becomes, Mr. Todd, how many issues are we reading next week? Well, um, you've got War Drums. So this book is really written on, on trades. Is You've got War Drums, Act 1, Act 2, Act 3, War Crimes. So uh-huh. um, if you're going back to the original trades of what's going on, it's like 10 to 12 issues of each trade in that regards because okay. it's not just the main Batman arc. It's also covering the whole Bat family. So you've got Detective throwing in there, and there's even a few other issues of other things going on. So it's so, a really funky collection. So it's going to be a whole lot of reading. So um, War Crimes is the shortest run of them all because it's really the denouement because we're using that big word again. Uh-huh. We learned earlier, and um, but um, I learned you a new word. You learned me a new word, but War Drums is really just the setting up of the whole thing that is to going down. So I mean, you still even have Oracle going on of everything going on. So this was at the height of all the characters, and it's a whole lot of fun for me. So, but it's going to be a lot of reading. It is okay. So, because I'm looking at this, mm-hmm. uh, just because I want clarification. So I have, I don't have anything like, okay, so I have uh, an issue called uh, Detective Comics 790 called uh, Scarfaction. Uh-huh. Um, and then I have the Surrogates Part 1, Lost and Found, Surrogates Part 2, The Binding, Surrogates Part 3, Deliverance, Monsters of Rot Part 1, Cleansing Fires, Monsters of Rot Part 2, uh, Knee Deep, uh, and then Polished Stone, uh, A Life More Ordinary, all, uh, all Red, let's see, All Red All Over, Sisterhood, Second Chance, Girl Wonder, Fired, and then I get to a thing called War Games Prelude, No Help, and the next thing is War Games Part 1. So am I reading everything up until War Games Prelude, or am I reading War Games Prelude as well? You're going to read War um, War Games Prelude as well, because War Games Part 1 is really part of jumping into Act 1 of everything going into the full steam. So this is a... uh, okay. Yeah, it's an awesome run. Okay. So, yes, yeah, so that's uh, going to be about 326 pages of comics there to read, roughly. Uh, about 320, actually. Yep. Must uh, and keep on going. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, interesting. Okay. Well, yeah, because I have this big collection, so I'm like, okay, where does this all split up? Yeah. Uh, so, okay. 
Well, awesome. So uh, we will be jumping into that next week and uh, and then continue on through the month. Uh, so please kind of come on back and join us for a, a lot of Batman action. We haven't read Batman in a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm excited to be back in Gotham. So uh, with that, uh, we'll say thank you very much and have a great one. And we'll talk to you later. Bye. Bye. Hey, Maya showed up. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode. This band of knuckleheads will be back next week with a new episode. Until then, you can find them on Facebook, Instagram, and Tumblr as Funny Books and Firewater. And on Twitter as at FirewaterCast. Go to FunnyBooksAndFirewater.com for the most up-to-date information. As well as cocktail recipes from this and past episodes. Thank you for joining us. And until next week, support your local comic shop. Tip your bartender well. And stay hydrated.